welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We're in a semi-final. The Matildas only went and did it. They defeated Great Britain 4-3 in the quarterfinal. I'm going to apologise now for just the general decibel level in this podcast. You all wanted a hyped up podcast and that's exactly what you're getting. So we will be taking you through the Matildas quarterfinal win over Great Britain. We will talk a little bit about our semi-final matchup with Sweden, but what a day, what a game, what a team. Let's crack into this chat. We're stoked to be here bringing you this, and we're very stoked that we have a special guest. So today it's me, Marissa Lodanik, Sam Lewis, Anna Harrington, Angela Christian-Wilkes, and friend of the pod, Grace Gill. Grace, thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. We're so stoked you're here. So let's talk about this game because I think we're all kind of bundles of just joy at the moment because that's how good this win felt. So do we want to start with some kind of you love to see it? Because I feel like there was a lot of stuff that was just really, really awesome from this game. So Sam, do you want to kick us off with a you love to see it? I would love to do that, Marissa, more than I've loved to do anything in my whole life. My you love to see it. I mean, there were so many from this game, but I think if I want to stay with my brand, I have to say I loved to see the performance from Tegan Micah. She was just extraordinary. And when it comes to this game, a game so unpredictable and so chaotic as this, there are some players in some moments who do something that really set the tone. And Tegan Micah's two saves in the first half hour, while it was still nil-nil, to keep Great Britain out when they were starting to get momentum was like when she saved those those potential goals, I was like, all right, we're on. It's like something is special about this moment. Tegan Micah is feeling herself. She's feeling this moment. And she just, she completely stood up to the challenge of, of this game. I was so impressed when she kept Sweden to that nil all draw in her debut in the friendly. I was impressed when she kept the, to the USA to a nil all draw in the group game. But this was by far her best performance. I was so stunned by how mature she was. She just did everything well and saving that penalty from Caroline Weir in stoppage time. I'm pretty sure the windows of my house shattered because I was screaming so loudly. It was just amazing. I'm so, so stoked that she's been given this opportunity because she's been getting better and better. So Tegan Micah, you'd love to see it. Friend of the pod, Tegan Micah, you love to see it. Angela, (laughs) what did you love to see? Uh, Mary Fowler. Mary Fowler, Mary Fowler, Mary Fowler, Mary Fowler. Oh my God. Oh, she she scored and it was fantastic. And I think she's quite a serious gal, our Mary, but she was beaming. And especially after the goal, the goal after that with Kerr as well. And it was just so great to see that must've been, I can't even imagine how she's feeling. That's such a like career defining moment. And I think she's going to remember that for the rest of her life. And yeah, she's been fantastic. We've talked about that. After the the group games, um, she stepped up in big moments. And what moment is bigger than this? Like, oh my god, they're in the semi-final. Anyway, Mary Fowler, what do you what do you guys reckon? Mary Fowler, you love to see it. You so so love to see it. You also just love to repeat Mary Fowler's lane like six times. <laughs> that's the vibe. That is the feeling. Grace, what did you love to see? Oh, look, I have to jump on the Tegan Micah bandwagon here. I think for me, she was hands down player of the match. Um, Sam's mentioned it, but I think 
football is made up of a series of moments and Tegan Micah was pivotal in a number of those moments in this match. Um, the early saves set the tone for the Matildas and I think she quite literally kept them in the game. Um, to see her sort of play with a level of experience and composure that is above her actual experience is really impressive. Um I love to see a goalkeeper make a really clean save and hold on to it. And that's just something, you know, really small details, but I think it kind of sets the tone and the ascendancy for the Matildas. And when you're on the park and you see your keeper do that, it just lifts the whole team with confidence. Um, and I think they could have been massive moments in the game that had she not saved them or even that one that was offside that she tipped over the bar, that just sends a message and it sets a tone for the rest of the game. So for me, Tegan Micah, you love to see it. She really was. She deserves to be mentioned twice in this. And Anna, what did you love to see? I love to see redemption stories. And for me, there was two clear ones in this game. I'll work on it. This is probably cheating a bit because <clears throat> it's almost like two you love to see it. But um, in terms of the big game picture overall, obviously into the semis for the first time. Um, the first of these redemption stories is Alana Kennedy, missed a penalty um, at Brazil in 2016 and she was so desperate at the World Cup in 2019 I remember her talking to media about this um, to redeem herself and she actually ended up costing herself the chance to redeem herself by getting sent off in that knockout game against Norway so she couldn't take a penalty she couldn't make an impact and it was obviously her getting sent off was a big reason why we um, we got knocked out because we went down to 10. So who else would it be but Alana Kennedy to just tower over Demi Stokes and power that header away um, against the run of play, really, in the in the 35th minute to put us in front. Um, she saw the matchups. For some reason, Leah Williamson just got sucked into marking Emily Van Egmont. I'm just putting that down to tall gal fear. Um, they're like, she's tall. Um, and everyone else went to Sam Kerr and Kennedy just timed the moment perfectly. And you could see the relief on her face and just the ecstasy when she celebrated. Um, and the other moment was, of course, her involvement uh, for Sam Kerr's goal to square things up. And that's where Sam Kerr comes into the picture because this is a player who um, we saw in the Sweden game missed that penalty or had the penalty save that would have made it 3 all. Obviously has, um, has been such a big game player for us for so long. But to step up when it counted in the 89th minute, Kennedy gets that flick header on. And it's not a Sam Kerr classic back post header or athletic header effort. It's the, it's the composure to have the flick on from Kennedy, take the touch. And Grace, you might be able to talk to this as a former professional footballer, to have the composure to let it settle and then rifle home the strike was simply extraordinary. And then, of course, um, she scored the second goal in extra time to, despite the late Alan White goal, seal it. So just the two players that I thought um, really summed up, like epitomised the way the Matildas redeemed themselves on the big stage, Alana Kennedy, Sam Kerr, you love to see it. How good! So, so good. You so love to see it. I feel like, is everyone else kind of just beaming, cheeks hurting, all of the above kind of thing? And I said to you three in the group chat that that game felt cathartic because, as you said, Harrod, there's the redemption stories for the likes of Alana Kennedy, for Sam Kerr kind of more recently. But in terms of the Matildas as a whole, there was an element of release to winning this game after the last kind of three or four years. Did anyone else kind of feel like that? Sam Kerr felt it more than anyone. Like um, in the post-match press conference, she basically got asked um, what Tony had brought to the group. And I'm sure we'll touch on his celebrations. But she said that 
he gave them the belief um, that they could do it. When he came in, she said, actually, the, one of the first things the girls said to him when they came, when, when Tony joined was, we believe we can do this. We believe we can win medals at major tournaments, but we just can't get over the last hurdle. It, it has happened at the Olympics. It's happened at the World Cup. They've not been able to break through to that final four. And that was what he brought to the table. And you could see it. Like, they weren't going to let this game go. <laughs> like They took the lead. They could have easily coughed it up in the most heartbreaking fashions because, you know, Ellen White's a fantastic player, but the defensive lapses, particularly for the second goal, were were just not there. And then to take it into extra time, to go through just the the ebbs and flows of that and to then take the game, I haven't said this in a while, entirely by the scruff of the neck and make it their own. Like, this was their moment. You could see that they sensed it. They sensed that once they got that sort of hammer blow, I can't imagine what it does for your, your confidence if your Team GB copping one like that where your op- opposition's best player gets away and takes the game to 120 minutes. You could tell they weren't going to lose this game. There was this sort of grit and determination and the willingness to to get things done. And I think one moment that summed it up was they brought Kara Cooney Cross on as an attacking substitute, took her off in extra time. She got the sub on, sub off treatment to bring Claire Polking on and just steady the ship. And that was one thing that just showed some maturity. They weren't going to let this one get away, you, you felt. Like it didn't feel like that at the time. But when you look back on it, you go, how could we have doubted them? I think I'm adding to that as well, Harry, your point there of seeing the relief in Sam Kerr's face after she scored that last goal, like she had the initial celebration and it was just ecstasy and it was overwhelmed. But then the camera sort of panned on her for a moment and she stopped and you could just see her kind of soaking it all up just for a couple of seconds. And I just caught that moment and I thought, wow, like that's incredibly special. And I think anyone who saw that felt that as well, felt the relief, felt what getting that little buffer, that extra goal in there meant. So particularly, yeah, Sam Kerr's face, someone who, um, you know, we we see how she expresses her emotions through whether it's um, those moments where she scores and she does a backflip or the, the presses after the game. But I thought that was a really subdued moment, a little bit uncharacteristic for Sam, but in a really, really nice way. She actually said post-match as well, Grace, like I asked her, how, where do you rank this win? How big a moment is it for Australian football? And she's like, I actually can't think of anything else right now. Like it's got to be right up there. Mm. But in my brain, all I can think about is this game because it's, you know, just so special. And um, maybe it's a question to ask me tomorrow because right now all I can think about is what a moment this is. And, yeah, I think that kind of, um, I guess, sums up maybe the moment that she had in that moment of thought. But then to actually verbalise it and go, I (laughs) I just can't put it in the ranking right now it's special and Mm. there's no player who has greater pressure on her than Sam Kerr and I think it must have just been cathartic as it was for all of us. And the thing that I think we need to keep reminding ourselves is like is what this Matilda's team has gone through to get here right like of all the teams competing at the quarterfinal stage of this tournament the Matildas went the longest without playing a single competitive match together almost 400 days They were scattered across the world. They were having different kinds of club forms. Some were having long-term injuries. We had this new coach come in who didn't meet some of his players for like four or five months, uh, you know, after he actually got the role. Having to try and teach new systems, new tactics, new philosophies through Zoom to players who you're not actually there on the park with is just diabolically hard. And so 
the fact that they're here at all, the fact that they even got to the quarterfinal, I think was pretty extraordinary considering those circumstances and considering the circumstances of their group as well. <laughs> like that group, three of the teams from the group G are now in the semifinal. Like it was a genuine group of death, that one that we were able to get through. And we managed that, I think, so perfectly considering who we were in that pecking order. And to now come out and perform against this Great Britain side, a side that is just heaving with superstars, you know, I, I, it, it just spoke to this element of the Matildas that we have talked about for such a long time, but we haven't really maybe felt it for a while. This never say die spirit, this attitude, this grit, this fortitude, this belief that they have in themselves and in each other and in the shirt and in the country, in the community, that they are capable of doing things if they work together and if they find that thing within themselves to push themselves that little bit further. And this game just completely encapsulated that entire vibe for me. You know, I don't care how much further we go after this because that game that game in itself is success to me for the Matildas at the Olympics. You say that, Sam, but we're going to be absolutely rabid and feral watching that <laughs> semi-final. <laughs> don't care. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit more, less feelings, more actual match chat, although I'm sure the feelings will come again because of who we are as people. But let's talk about the actual squad, the formation, things of that nature. We saw a couple of changes to the lineup. Alana Kennedy retained her spot in the back line, so Claire Falkinghorn was able to have a rest after playing three games of 90 minutes, which I think was a, a good move. And we had Hayley Razo and Caitlin Ford return to the lineup. Grace, what did you make of those changes? Did you like them? Do you think they worked? Yeah, well, I think um, the obvious one is that they worked in bringing Alana Kennedy on. Um, to be completely honest, when I when I saw that start, I thought it's not a game in which you can rest people. It's a must-win knockout point in the tournament. So there is that argument of, oh, but Polk's needed a rest because she's at that point in her career. She's had 90 minutes over and over again in her legs. But I thought to myself that Alana Kennedy has had some of those shaky moments. So there was a bit of risk in, in making that move. And when Polk's has had a really good tournament so far, um, there was always a little bit of risk in bringing Kennedy on. But... Obviously, she she stepped up and we spoke about that redemption moment as well for her. Um, but I think she had a really solid game and I'm really pleased personally for Alana that she has has done so and obviously for the team as well for her to play the role that she was meant to play in previous spit-outs um, when she has had those sort of questionable moments, those shaky moments. Um, she has the, I guess, capacity for a clanger in a game and I thought last night she didn't we didn't see that from her which I was just really relieved and really really pleased it was really pleasing so I think in that regard it really worked um and then in bringing the likes of you know Hayley Russell back into the side Caitlin Ford I think we needed those girls on the pitch and when Team GB had someone who was as rapid as hemp on the left to have that match up with Hayley Russell I really enjoyed seeing that for the first sort of 15-20 minutes I thought wow someone's going to die here um fortunately that didn't happen but just their their speed and their pace they were just going neck to neck for a while and um I really really enjoyed that match up and I think they ran each other into the ground, really. Um, but, yeah, important inclusions in the way of Russo and Ford to come back into the team, and that was the experience I think the girls needed. Grace, you played with Hayley in her early days at Canberra United. It feels like over the course of her career she's become a lot, I guess, tougher, like stronger physically. 
she goes toe to toe and actually sort of squares up to players now when maybe early in her career it felt like she didn't do that what have, what have you noticed about the way she's developed I think what's been really pleasing for Hayley Rasso, when she did come down to Canberra her first season in the W League, she was just this young, raw, explosive player who really didn't back herself at all. She was just fast. That was it. She was fast. She knew she was fast. We knew she was fast and we knew how to use that to to her strengths. Um, Over the last few years and sort of the international football she's got under her belt, she's managed to sort of hone her game and finesse that a bit more. And I think that was really important for someone like Hayley Rasso to become a bit more tactically aware, a bit more technically aware. Um, I think she's still got room for improvement in that regard. I think there's still moments where we see her touch slightly let her down. It's a fast girl thing. I think we heard GYD mention it on the commentary last night. Don't have that issue, so I don't. I can't empathise. But um, for Hayley, I think we've seen her game progress in a way that has had her become a really pivotal part of this Matilda side. You, um, I sort of liken to her a player like someone like Ash Sykes and although she's not in the Matildas fold anymore, we go back to her early years as a Matilda where she was just super fast and it took a really long time for her to finesse her sort of finishing and her touch and she did so to become a world-class player and I think Hayley Rasso is on a very similar trajectory where she is in that sort of upper echelon now of, okay, there's these things I've got to tweak, I'm still lightning fast um, but technically I think she's still got room for improvement. Yeah, the thing that I really loved to see from Rasmus' game last night, I think, was how how sort of deadly she was in terms of her crossing. Because that's the other thing, like, you're totally right, Grace, that she has sort of had an elephant touch for a, a long time uh, in, in terms of her game because she just, I think, overestimates how quick she is sometimes. And so she just, like, suddenly she meets the ball and she's like, oh, shit. She has to sort of, <laughs> you know, the bound, bound down and, and, and grab it. But there were a number of times throughout the game last night where she was able to really measure her touch much more effectively and find ways to get around whoever was marking her and to send a number of really deadly crosses into the box. There were probably two or three serious chances that she could have had for an assist there. Um, but it was just that, you know, you know, in a matter of inches, right? Um, but on top of that, I think like Rasso is a really good, she sort of reminds me of Ellie Carpenter in the sense that she has that, vibe she has that energy she has that sort of spirit the fight to her that I think psychologically gives the Matildas a bit of an edge and when coming up against a player like a Lauren Hemp who was extraordinary she was probably Great Britain's standout player which is just ridiculous considering she's only 20 years old you, you sort of you started to see it sort of creep into Hemp a couple of times you know she really believed in herself but there were times where she came square up with Hayley Rass and she was like oh shit like I've sort of met my match here which is like, which is great because those are those kinds of one-on-one moments that can pivot a game, that can make it so different. So, yeah, I've, I've been so impressed with Hayley Rasso, the way that she's come along, particularly in the last 12 to 18 months since moving to England. I think it's been extraordinary. Sorry, Sam, I don't think you can call Ellen White your Ellen wife anymore. She scores a hashtag, keeps PGB <laughs> in the game, and you say Lauren Hemp was the standout player. Oh, that's rough. That's grounds, that's grounds for divorce. Grounds for divorce. Ellen wife, yeah. <laughs> She's done with you after that. <laughs> sorry, Angela. Here you go. I'm sorry. I feel like I watched that game and I was like, I need to actually watch this game again to even under, like, understand. It was just a lot of, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm the opposite of Sam. I don't go loud when I'm like watching a game and absorbed in it. I go really quiet and I feel like I'm still really quiet. I'm like, I don't, I, what happened? I, I'm not sure. But um. I was going to ask you, because in our last episode, you were the one to highlight 
the GB players that we should look out for? How did you see how they went? I'm annoyed that I was correct. Like, Kira Walsh, <laughs> please calm down, buddy. All right. Oh, you're having these excellent, like, long-range shots for now. All right. I just, I was sort of hoping I'd curse her a little bit, and um, that didn't work, nor, nor did saying that we should watch out for Lauren Hemp. And we did watch out for Lauren Hemp. Um, and as you said, Sam, Rasso did a fantastic job shutting her down. I sort of hope that, like, Rasso gets, like, a, a reputation amongst this like Great Britain squad. Cause I just remember that um, when she matched up with Lucy Bronze in the Man City Everton um, FA Cup final, that was hilarious. Um, and so <laughs> I, I hope that she sort of sparks fear. Cause I, I don't think she's um, on appearances. Rasso is not a scary um, person, but I think they'll, they'll remember her now, which is great. Um I'm trying to think. I, th- I think Van Egmond had a, a really good game and, and quite a measured game. Um, um, we did see, I think, some fatigue from like from the likes of Kaya Simon uh, in that initial like 90 minutes. I feel like there was just a little bit lacking in that sort of final third, I suppose, in terms of like going for the ball and, and um, just putting your foot through it in a lot of ways. But yeah, I don't know. I we won I, I feel bad like nitpicking it's just we're here it was fantastic and we've already touched on the fact that there were defensive lapses and I'm not really sure how we can um address that moving forward really but one day at a time let's just focus on the oh my god we're in a semi-final I mean I was just going to add to the point of um team GB I think the opening say 15-20 minutes Matilda's looked really good and I thought oh wow we are in here and we're playing really well we're pressing high we're turning them around and then there was just a, a sort of moment of momentum shift where team GB really came into the game and they had a couple of early opportunities and um, again, back to moments in football, um, they're those kind of moments that, yes, we had um, Queen Micah to save the day, but they're the moments that had Team GB been able to put even one of those chances away, it could have been a very different game. And Ellen White was was brilliant. She made herself a nuisance the entire game. Um, she's just, in my eyes, a, a world-class number nine at the moment. She's playing in her prime. She's She's not necessarily one of those central strikers who – where everything has to look really pretty, but she knows how to score and she'll get herself into a good position to score. Um, Airily, she's she's fantastic. We saw her goal later in the game. But they're those moments and football comes back down to it and Team GB failed to capitalise early and it could have been a very different result had they been able to put one of those away. Grace, I'll be interested in your thoughts on this. You mentioned rotation earlier. I felt like this was a real endorsement of the approach uh, Tony and the team have taken. Obviously, Claire Polkinghorne, as you mentioned, must have must have been gassed to not feature in this game bar a late cameo appearance. But it feels like the decision to rest Hayley Razo, not take a risk on Caitlin Ford, both paid off. Um, it felt like they made their substitutions at the right time. Fowler came on, had an impact. Emily Gimnick wasn't huge, but just gave them something to, to think about. I think Cooney Cross probably in the same area. It, it felt like this, they got the right amount of rest during the, the group stage that they could tinker a little bit here. Players were fresh. Players made an impact. Um, I felt like this was this was an endorsement for the approach they've taken. You've, you've obviously been analysing these games. What have you made of the way they've rotated the squad? Because we well and truly outlasted Great Britain. Once it went to 120 minutes, like bar that Ellen White goal near at the end, it felt like they just could not go with us. Yeah, look, I, I tend to agree. I think um, Team GB did run out of legs towards the end of the game and... Um, 
yeah, absolute credit to the team for managing those bodies and managing the rotation of players really well. Um, when you do that at a major tournament, of course, it does come with risk, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but I think the balance of minutes on the park that the girls got and minutes on the bench that the girls got paid dividends last night. Um, Kaya Simon perhaps ran out of puff a little bit. Um, Hayley Russo came in extra fresh. Caitlin Ford, obviously, they were protecting a little niggle from her. Um, I would have I would have thought maybe we would have seen Gilnick a bit earlier in the tournament for, for more minutes than she got. And I just say that against a team like... Um, you know, Sweden in their in their round game. She's she's big, she's strong, she's physical. And I thought, bring on a Gilnick to match up. And even if it's not to to put a goal away, if just to match phys, like physicality and to sort of wear a Sweden out. And we haven't seen much of Gilnick. And I think maybe that's the one change last night that I thought the wind's take been taken out of her sails a bit. And that's understandable as a player when you're getting subbed on sort of four or five minutes of a game to go, you, you've really got no time to settle in. If you do manage to pop a goal away, um, you know, that's an amazing impact sub, but it's really hard for someone like Gilnick now to come into the side and be really effective because she doesn't have match fitness. She doesn't have confidence. She hasn't put a goal away. Um, I thought maybe would we would have seen her a little bit earlier in the piece. Um, so with the barring that change, I think the, the substitutions, the game management, load management um, has been really well handled. Yeah, the Gilnick question is really interesting. And I sort of wonder whether moving into the semifinal against Sweden, Tony is going to consider that. You know, Gilnick is one of the Matildas in this squad who are very familiar with the way that the Swedish play because she plays there. She plays her club football there. Uh, and we saw that she is capable, if she's given sort of 20, 25 minutes in the, the friendly, the very first friendly game that the Matildas played against Germany, she popped up towards the end of the game and scored two goals. You know, she's capable of doing that, of being that impact player, as Tony likes to describe them. They're not bench players. They're not secondary players. They're impact players. And even before the game yesterday, he mentioned that, you know, there are starting players, but there are also finishing players. There's a starting 11 and a finishing 11. And both of those teams matter. They can both contribute in their own kinds of ways. And we saw that with Mary Fowler coming on towards the end of the game and scoring that really pivotal goal, which I think gave the entire team a little bit, just that tiny bit more push, that tiny bit more oomph that was able to get us over the line. So, yeah, I'd love to see Gilnick be given... A, a, a more serious look in, especially because I think Sammy, as fit and incredible and important as she is, starting to look a little bit gassed because the work that she does up front is just extraordinary. Like she, Tony often talks about whenever, particularly when Sam was not scoring too many goals throughout the, the friendly series, Tony was like, well, her, she, she means so much more to us than just her ability to put balls in the back of the net. Like she, she leads from the front, she defends, she presses, she does all this running that often goes unnoticed and unrecognized because it's not Sam Kerr doing Sam Kerr things. But she, I think over the last perhaps two games has looked a little bit tired. And so I would like to hope that Tony can manage her minutes perhaps a little bit more and make sure that he he balances the the sort of uh, the important leadership role that she can play and also the fact that she can score goals in big moments while also ensuring that other players who can make an impact and bring something different to the dynamic get given an opportunity as well. Tough one to take Sam Kerr off though, isn't it? Like Tony said last night. She no, and like pain. not even, yeah, not even taking her uh, off, but even yeah. just moving her wide and bringing her into and- number nine or something. Oh no, but it's just like how do you how do you manage a player like that? It's uh, 
like she was incredible. Like she looked like she was just about on one leg near the end of that game yesterday. She was certainly proppy. Tony said she was in pain. She, he sort of credited her, said, I was going, do we take her off? Do we let it, you know, do we let her play on? It's like, you can't take her off. Um, she played through her and she led the team like incredibly. And yeah, she just jumped over poor Steph Horton and made it look so, so easy. Um, the thing I loved, and I think Sam Kerr was crucial to this, was this team just feels so united and happy and enthusiastic. And I mean, friend of the pod, Anno Dong, might need to get onto them about their social media because I reckon about eight of them posted Instagram posts just saying this team. So uh, just <laughs> get, get the thesauruses out, gals. But like they were, they just look so happy for each other. It's, it feels like it's not, I know there's a lot of pressure on Sam Kerr, for instance, but it feels like they are sharing the load a bit better. They were so happy for players like um, Mary Fowler, Tegan Micah, these young players or newer players who are making an impact. And I actually want to get your thoughts on this, Grace, because Lydia Williams is always a big personality around the group. She was one of the first ones in on celebrations. I can't imagine what sort of disappointment she would have been feeling about playing a game and then getting dropped for Micah, but what, what is it about Lids that makes her, I guess, such a great teammate? Because for goalkeepers in particular, it must be so tough to, to see someone get picked ahead of you. And Tegan Micah has clearly made a, a big claim mm-hmm. for the number one keeper's spot at this point. What, what is it about Lids that makes her such a standout? Because I, I just thought that was the player that summed up the, the great vibe around this team at the moment. Someone who's clearly going through the individual disappointment, but is all in on what this team's doing. Yeah, it's a really good point, Harrow, and um, it's ruthless as a goalkeeper because you either sit on the bench for years to try and get a call up and then you get a call up and then have to perform in that time. Um, but Lydia is now at the tail end of her career where she's been a part of this Matilda squad for so long. Um, so to sit back and sort of see Tegan Micah take that spot would be really tough. Um, I think with Lids, she's been around the team for long enough and in the development of this side for long enough, and she was as, as part of the team when Bubs was... The, the first choice goalkeeper as well. So she had to bide her time with Bubs. And then they had a bit of that power play and that power switch where Lydia came into the first role and Bubs had to take a back seat. And we saw that dynamic for a while. So Lids has actually experienced both sides of this on a couple of times in a couple of different ways. So I think now for her to be able to see Tegan coming in, playing really well, she's, she's evidently experienced enough and mature enough to put the team first. And I think that's so important, not just as a team player, but as a goalkeeper, understanding your role in the side, understanding that she now has a responsibility to pass the buck to Micah and go, this is your chance now and this is your responsibility and I support you completely and I've got your back 100%. And Lydia is such a hype queen that she does that and she does that in the best way possible. And just bouncing off that as well, speaking of players who were on the bench and haven't really seen very many minutes, Laura Brock, there was a shot of Laura after the final whistle where she was in tears. You know, this she's spoken about this possibly being her last ever Olympics and we know that she's sort of in the tail end of her career as well. But in a very similar kind of way, Grace, I think to the way you've described Lydia there, Laura seems like that kind of character in camp. She seems like that leader, like that hype queen for the rest of the group. Even if she's not there on the field, she plays such a huge role in the mentality and the emotions and the joy of this team, the togetherness of this team. So to see her be so emotional about a win that she hasn't had any physical part in, in contributing to really sort of emphasize that 
about how this and something that Tony's spoken about as well. This is a this this team is is everyone. It's not just the players, it's the staff, it's the it's the analysts, it's everyone who is part of this group. They all contribute to the overall confidence and the feeling of belonging um, that seems to really be sort of emanating across all of them now. And I even think back to sort of even beyond the 2019 Women's World Cup, like it feels like this has been something that's been building for quite a while. The Matildas have had this national reputation as being, you know, medal contenders and they've carried this, these expectations and the weight of that for such a long time. They maybe felt like they fell short in 2019, that they didn't live up to those expectations, but now it sort of feels like they they trust themselves to be able to do that. And what a relief that must be for a team like this who are becoming so much more visible. Yeah, completely. And your point there about Laura Brock, and we just go back to the World Cup where she missed out and Carly Rosbacken came in. And I think that speaks to the kind of culture and vibe that the team has in that we saw the support that she gave Carly coming into the squad as a really young player. And that's so important. And that epitomizes the type of person you want in a team. But all of that said, um, I wouldn't for a second take away how difficult and how challenging it is for those girls who don't see a minute of time on the field. And it's a really tough part to play in a squad because whether you think you should be on the field, whether you think you're, you know, you want you, you understand your place on the bench or in the stands or whatever it may be. Mentally, it is such a tough gig. And for those girls to turn up and then to support the others, Laura Brock, Lydia Williams, get around their players, that takes such a mental resolve. And I have the utmost respect for the girls who, who don't actually see the field as well. More on Sam Kerchat. I was just going to say that um, we're talking about the work rate that she puts in. I just wanted to mention the two clearances that she did. I think it was like in the five minutes after her equaliser goal, um, where she was defending, I was like, wow, get you. Like I tweeted about this. I'm like, get you a girl who can do both. Like <laughs> she epitomizes that. It was incredible. And I, yeah, she is, it feels like she really is, um, I suppose the heart of this team and just bouncing off what you said there as well, Grace. Yeah. I just can't imagine how difficult it is when you have this, these big moments for a team and everyone's celebrating the team, but you've also got your own thing going on where you're perhaps reckoning with like not playing a minute in um, the Olympics. Was it Steph Young that mentioned that you have to play a minute in order to get a medal? That is plaguing my mind. I'm like, we actually are in contention now. And I know this isn't under sevens div three, but surely you chuck, like if you're up, you chuck people on just so that yeah, just so everyone can get a, you know, get something. I don't know. It's yeah, and I think also speaking to that as well, like the goalkeeper side of things seems so hard. And Mackenzie Arnold, I can't imagine like what she might be going through right now. But um, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't want to be Tony. It seems like a, a tough gig, and that um, the perfect that side of things for professional athletes so just that's that's personally why I didn't go down that path because I just like don't have the mental resilience for it um otherwise I think I really I could have been at this Olympics you know (laughs) anyway niche pro footballer question for you Grace how hard is it to go with players like Taniki Yolup and Chloe Legazzo because like when Legazzo came on she made some of those amazing tracking back runs Yolup was just end to end the whole time she was on like how hard are these players to go with these like these players with these massive engines that just seem like physical beasts 
if you're asking me personally, very hard because they're very fast. Um, generally, um, players like Lagazo and Yallop, um, it's their engines that will just see them over the line. And that's a really hard thing to match up against because um, not only physically is that hard to compete with and keep up with, mentally when a player keeps going and you're just sort of a pace or two behind them, they've already beaten you in this sort of mental challenge, this mental battle. So then to sort of try and keep up with that and keep pushing where, you know, you're as an opposition player, you're just thinking, all right, how, they, how are they tracking back again or how are they making that run again or how are they putting in that other sort of one, 5%. Um, is really, really challenging. So unless you've got a like-for-like physicality in the, in the way we saw with a Russell and a Hemp last night, um, when, you've, when you've got your player beat physically, it becomes such a mental thing um, to try and overcome that. Um, we see that often in, you know, defensive players who might not necessarily be as fast as an attacker running at them. So you have to utilise your strengths, which may be tactically your smarts about how you don't allow that person to get around you. And you have to outsmart a player who might be physically better than you. Um, but when you are playing just sort of head to head in a position that is just up against each other, it's really tough. And unless you've got that like for like physicality, um, ultimately one of those girls is going to win out. And we see with Legazo, with Yallop, um, they've just got those engines and, and they beat their player time and time again. And speaking to, to those kinds of players as well, I think one of the questions that we sort of asked in the last episode was about the Matildas midfield with this new kind of formation. And there were times throughout the game against Great Britain where it's it felt like the Matildas were deeply outnumbered in that midfield by virtue of the different formations that both sides were using. But because of Yallop, because of Lagazo, and even to some extent an Emily Van Egmont, because they do have those engines, they're able to cover more ground and almost seem like there are more players on the field than what there actually are. And perhaps that's the reason why we've seen Yollop brought into this central midfield role where obviously she has excelled for a long time, but prior to the Olympics, she was sort of used as like a left sided midfielder trying to sort of drop as part of the, the sort of the back five every now and then, but almost as soon as she was moved centrally and she was given license, given permission to do the hard running that we know she's so good at, she is like, maintained her spot she started there basically every game and she I think has has proved her worth in in that sort of way um but I did mention I, I did want to mention as well in terms of Kai Simon there was a moment during the game where she was moved a little bit more centrally as well she sort of came in from her right wing role and played almost like a false nine sort of number 10 and it gave the Matildas a little bit more edge a little bit more momentum and power in that midfield and we started to see the Matildas sort of start to get control of the game again. So it was really interesting seeing the ways that the uh, sort of the dynamic of, of possession and control ebbed and flowed depending on the tactics that were deployed by both sides and the ways in which certain players were used in certain positions. I thought like it was just, it was fascinating from a, like an analytical perspective as a kind of chess match. Um, but like, it, it was all about the vibes for me. Like if I tried to like, I have to use my logical brain and my emotional brain for these kinds of things. So I could like, I can look at it again and be like, Oh yeah, I can see the decision made here. I can see that and that and that is just like the red strings on the board type of like conspiracy theory shit. But th- most of all, it was just like, it was just vibes. And I just loved how everybody was able to just like find that thing within themselves to go that, that one little step further than what Great Britain could. I think that's the sign of a really great team. You're saying the the analytical brain, the emotional brain, but the childish brain in me is like, haha, Kai Simon beat up Kim Little. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, 
you, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, right? Kim Little's a massive threat. Anyway, I know she didn't do it on purpose. She's not that kind of player, but anyway. Angela, I'm curious about your assessment of Lucy Bronze. Did you think that she underperformed? I know that you're a, you're a bronze a bronze fanatic. Um, I don't know. I thought she was pretty well rallied. Uh, she probably could have, and like towards the end of the game as well, she just seemed absolutely gassed and devastated that she wasn't able to have more of an impact. How did you see her? I think she was tired from carrying this team on her back for the group stage, honestly. So, yeah, I, don't, I think she was a little bit under, undercooked or maybe overcooked. Yes, overcooked is, is the right one. Um, but, yeah, thank you for the, um, the goal, Lucy. Thank you so much. It, it was that really unfortunate deflection off her foot, um, that Mary Fowler goal. But, yeah, it's unfortunate when you see she is, I mean, she is prone to that and, I, I don't know. It's the the Lucy Bronze having clangers. We were talking about this. Um, so with my soccer team, we were, the WhatsApp was popping off and Tom was talking about Alana Kennedy and how perhaps she's not always the strongest defensively, but that we need like mo- modern centre-backs who can pass and, and have that attacking ability, which is a good point. And I think Lucy Bronze is sort of fits within that framework as well in that she's like such a great attacking player but prone to clangers and that definitely came through in this game but yeah not not her best performance but oh well you know it reminded me of the um the world cup semi-final again uh, when it's usa v england where coming yeah. into the match all the talk especially from the british press press was crystal dunn's not a natural left back Lucy Bronze can go at her and she can do her thing and we're going to win this game. And those were some famous last words because Crystal Dunn is a sensational footballer that they totally underestimated. And she had Lucy Bronze in her pocket and was also crucial going the other way for the US. And obviously Tony Gustafson would have been crucial to um, those decisions with the US. And it felt like they played their hand perfectly again in terms of bronze last night. Steph Catley's a world-class left back playing as the, wing back and Caitlin Ford is a is a top attacker who was used out on the left a fair bit that's a lot of work for Lucy Bronze to do that's a lot of defensive responsibilities to deal with both of those players had their own impacts on the match but most importantly Lucy Bronze couldn't get away from as many of those runs as she'd like and I know she does sometimes like to cut central but at other times when she cuts central it's because she's not got the options to to use her pace and skill and she's sort of floating into no man's land a bit and she got forced into those positions so many times she's such a good player I, I did feel for her with the with the goal though because it deflected so much that had Mary Fowler's shot not like it, it it was almost an own goal it just deflected that hard like it was an absolutely wicked deflection Lucy Bronze is probably still like looking at the top corner of that goal like wistfully um yeah, it felt like we played it perfectly in that sense. And there were a few little tactical battles around the place that, yeah, we uh, we won. I, I just still feel like the defence can be an issue, though. Like that that second goal for Ellen White where Alina Kennedy and Ivy Lewick were both there sort of like, oh, who's going to clear it? And no one cleared it. <laughs> that, one, uh, that one hurt for mine. And then also just the moment where we saw Ellie Carpenter get caught on White and just didn't have the didn't have the body. The first goal, even where Carpenter and she's still learning, I guess that centre back trade didn't get the little nudge on Ellen White, and she she got basically an unmarked header. Like there's, this still feels like there's a few little teething issues. Um, Grace, I'm probably interested in your thoughts on this, to be honest, because it, it felt like those were the moments where 
we could have been exposed. And we saw it happen a few times against Sweden, who we'll probably touch on soon. I mean, where, where do we clean up these things? Maybe is it Claire Polkinghorne comes back in? Um, it's a, a really good point. And I think had we not got the result last night, um, there would have been a lot more criticism on that Ellen White goal because you're right, it was a sort of miscommunication of who's going to clear it, I'm going to clear it, no one's going to clear it, Ellen White's going to score a goal. Um, and had we not got the result, then that would have been really heavily criticised. The fact that we've gotten away with the result, we kind of go, oh, you know, a bit of a mismatch there and we still got the result. But I think we still need to look at those moments as to how do we actually tidy those up because at that point in the game, it's about not trying to be cute with it. You just need to put your foot through the ball and get it as far away from the goal as possible. And someone needs to be able to step up and do that. And against... Uh, a team where we had the buffer that we could actually get away with it, where we're probably quite lucky. But had that been a, a game where that goal was, you know, deciding the result, then we're going to be much more heavily criticised in those little moments. So whether it's a Polk's coming back in, um, Alana's now got 90 minutes under her belt, which is really important for her as a player. She'll probably grow into some more confidence following that. Um it's sort of really hard to pick apart and say what's the right decision there, but it's just been mindful of those moments and how damaging they can be in a game where we haven't actually come away with the result. Grace, what have you made of the way Alana Kennedy has been managed? Because I think we've all, you'd have heard us talk about this pod on the pod countless times. She played in defensive midfield in club football. They had a little run of it with the Matildas, but clearly Tony has said, You're got, you've got to be our centre-back. That's where your role is. And in the previous game against the US, he talked about her being a quarterback, using her passing ability, um, having a really be the player who can drive attack. And to me, it felt like really good management of a player who clearly wants to get involved with the build-up and create, but has also been told, you got to play centre-back, not midfield. I mean, in terms of managing a player's ego, um, doing what's best for the team, and I guess getting the best out of her, what have you made of it? Because it feels like she has, bar those little moments we mentioned it feels like she has grown and grown and grown these past two games into the player that I think we know she can be that makes sense yeah that makes sense I think I am I think I see Alana Kennedy as more of an attacking defender and then you see someone like Polks as more of a defensive defender so Alana is going to provide that distribution. She's got a beautiful technique in hitting those diagonal balls. And I love that about a centre-back. I love that she looks for that. She also has the ability to drive into the midfield with a ball at her feet because she has had that time in the midfield as a defensive midfielder. So she's comfortable with the ball at her feet. And then we see what she provides in the way of an aerial thread when she goes up for corners, set pieces. So she has these real things in her arsenal that when you need more from your defence in the way of providing attack, I think she'll be that person. Polks, on the other hand, is just tough, solid, resolute defender. She'll put her foot through things. She'll get up in the air. She'll challenge. And she can drive forward as well. Like I don't take that away from Polks at all, but they're just a different kind of player. Um, in terms of what the right choices, decision, is it to have one? Is it to have both? Um, I imagine Tony's going to be looking at the last two games against Sweden and seeing where those defensive lapses and vulnerabilities opened up. And it's just going to be a judgment call on, on the day on a couple of things around how their bodies are, how they're faring physically, mentally. I think coming off the back of the result that they just did, Alana Kennedy should probably start just because she is brimming with confidence and she's really playing her way into the tournament. I agree that she's probably stepped up in these last opportunities she has had to play the role that I think she can play. And if, if from Alana's game, we could just remove those 
defensive lapses, she'd be almost perfect centre back. Sort of speaking of players who I feel like have started to really grow under Tony already, and perhaps even players that we didn't expect it, Steph Catley, I think, has become an even better player than what she already was. Like we already knew that she was great. She was probably already one of the top two sort of natural defenders in the Matildas. But I feel like under Tony, she has just been able to find an extra level of something that I have always wondered if she was capable of doing. Like I thought she'd already reached her ceiling, but it seems like her ceiling is actually a lot further up than, than what I what I expected. And the fact that coming into this game, there were a couple of stats that were posted on like Opta, those Opta sort of Twitter accounts saying that Steph Catley was one of the most uh, dangerous set piece takers across the entire tournament so far. Like her now being the dedicated set piece taker, taking corners, taking almost all of the free kicks. She has just been absolutely pivotal in so much of this. And like when we were talking uh, sort of in early days about Catley and Carpenter being used in different kinds of formations and the compromise that would have to be made between um, attack and defence by having this back three, Tony seems to have found a way to still make Steph Catley really, really dangerous, threatening in attacking sort of set plays and other kinds of moments while still ensuring that she has those defensive responsibilities and can still maximise how good of a defender she is. So it's like she's like she hasn't maybe um, come along in the kinds of leaps and bounds that other players of the Matildas have, but I feel like she has added some really subtle elements to her game under Tony that has made her an even more world-class, holistic kind of defender. I think with, though, with Tatley, again, I'll, like, read out those Opta stats because I found them as well and thought they were just fascinating. So it was in the group stage she created six chances from set pieces, which I think was either the most or second most out of the whole tournament in the group stage. And then she had created eight scoring chances in the group stage. And I think only Lika Martins had created more in the group stage. We know she created more in this game against GB. And she was, you know, again, from the set piece, able to set up Alana Kennedy. So I think kind of expanding on your point, Sam, with we know that we had pace down the left and attacking down the left from Catley, but we also had that on the right from Carpenter. So one of them needed to stay behind and Tony has obviously decided that Catley is the one that gets to roam forward. And she has shown that that is absolutely the right decision. It has paid off. The stats back that up. And the fact that she has set up a couple of goals in this tournament also kind of further proves it. The other thing is we don't entirely lose Ellie Carpenter because she's one of those players like Yola Gazos and Yoki Yollops that has that engine. She can do all the defensive work and then all of a sudden in the 88th minute go on a barnstorming run down the right wing and it works because all of a sudden then Arazo drops back or a Legazo drops back. Someone will cover that hole. So I think Tony has really found the best way to utilise both those players, even if maybe in the start we thought, oh, but I want both of them bombing down the wing. So just to kind of yeah, expand on that point, I think he's figured it out and it's working really, really well. Turns out Tony is a brain genius and we're just here being like, but why can't we have both, Tony? (laughs) The coach knows what's up. Who would have thought? We want to see the fast players go. We want to see them zooming, Tony. Come on. (laughs) We are such simple people. It does lend itself, though, Marissa, I'm stealing your thunder here. Um, In terms of Sweden, how do we handle it? Because we saw Ivy Lewick just get absolutely done for pace. Like, it happened multiple times. The fair Jakobsen just had her way with her in terms of pace. Like she just couldn't go with her. It created goals. Like what What do we do? I'm going to throw 
Grace under the bus here. Grace, what approach do we take? Because we know Sweden have pace. We know they're good at set pieces. I think we talked about this even before this game and before the US game, when you've got teams that are so well balanced in terms of their attack. They've got the, the speedy wingers. They've got the classy players like an Aslani. What approach do we take to this defence? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, and Ivy Lewick, like, I really rate Ivy. I think she's a, a class player. She's she's in her prime. And in terms of um, her international experience, I know that this has been her Olympic debut. And at 36, that's, that's pretty bloody impressive. Um, but you've made the point and everyone saw that she did get exposed against a really fast, a really physical Sweden. So it begs the question, does Tony then put Alana and Polks in, in the central back positions sort of how they used to almost I don't know I don't know if he's going to go back to a more traditional four at the back and play uh, more of a a solid defensive structure in which case Ivy could sit in front of them Um, he's got a bit to think about in how they manage that because you're right Jakobsen um, Blackstenius when she's come on has been insane like they're just so hard to handle and they're not just sort of fast and fit athletes they're also strong and really really physical so you need to be putting out a team that's going to match that as much as they are with an engine as they are with physicality because that's what's really stood out for me from the Swedish side is that they just are getting stuck in and they're really solid in there that doesn't answer your question sorry (laughs) we're sort of just like Grace how do we fix it can you please fix (laughs) see ya (laughs) But surely we got an indication, I think, from this game, didn't we? Like we just talked about Ellie Carpenter. She's using her pace in that central role to greater effect. We know what Steph Catley can do. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to make these decisions. But, I mean, where do we go from here? We know we can take it up to Sweden. Like we were leading 2-1 against them. When we tried, we could have pulled it back to 3-3. So surely we go into this game going, oh, yeah, we can beat them. Like no one expected us to beat Team GB and Sam made a really interesting point actually before we started recording that you hope it's not like this is our grand final um, and we've had the big effort now, we've come through, we've got the momentous victory. You just want them to continue on rather than fall flat after having such a high. But surely having played Sweden not long ago, we have the belief that we can actually do them and go one better. I'm opening the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we've, this yeah. is the thing. Like, we 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 have the most experience against the Sweden side than any of the other teams in the tournament at this point, you know. And Tony, who obviously knows his shit, which we didn't doubt, but I think this was the moment for him to prove that, and it was the moment for him to prove that all of the uh, all the Tonyisms that he has been pulling out over the last couple of months are actually coming true and they're coming to fruition that he is laying down these principles that these players are absorbing like sponges. We've seen over the course of the Olympics so far that the various kinds of little experiments that he's done throughout the friendlies had a purpose. They had a reason. There was a rationale behind them. And we've seen all of it deployed in some shape or form against all of these various opponents. And I think that that game against Sweden, even though there were moments where we were deeply exposed. I think Sam Kerr spoke of this actually after the Great Britain win. She was like, we actually matched them pretty well. And I, I, I would agree with her. Like outside of a couple of kinds of lapses in concentration and, and defensive mistakes, I think the Matildas actually did go toe-to-toe with Sweden for quite a, a couple of you know serious moments in that game. And so I think looking back at that, not only will the Matildas have a lot more belief that they're able to, to go at them in the way that they want to, but 
Tony will have taken so much from that and be able to make those little tweaks that maybe the Matildas themselves can't see. So I am so excited for this game. I, uh, as you said though, Harrow, like I just hope that the Great Britain win wasn't our final and that we've run out of puff and that the next game is just going to be like, oh, well, you know, we did as much as we could, but we've reached the end of our tether kind of thing. I think we probably can take it to them. I think we probably can really challenge for a bronze medal and, and maybe even get to the final, which would just be ridiculous. But if we don't, that's absolutely a-okay with me. That's the best bit is that regardless, we've got two more Tilly game, Tilly's games. Like by making it to the semis, they're going to contest for a medal regardless. It's so exciting. Like I think that must have been why there was such a relief. Like the journey's not over. You're either going to compete for gold or, you know, I mean, you're a three in four chance of getting a medal now. Like, and it's all in your own hands. And three out of four ain't bad, isn't it? To quote our group chat for the entirety of last year's lockdown. Quick maths. Quick maths. <laughs> exactly. Also on the point of Tony, like, I hadn't even really considered what this probably means for him because it feels like he, like, even with the celebrations, it just felt like, he was like a part of the team in a way, but like to have him come in as a new coach and to be able to get this far in a tournament is just such a terrific achievement. And I feel like that like needs to be highlighted, even though it's really apparent. I don't know. It's just like, it's such a big moment that it's one of the finer details there. And it's just so nice to have like stability for the Matildas. I'm so happy for them. Like they've got a coach who has a plan and he's going to be around and he can do those experiments and you can just trust that there's a, a point and a purpose to it. Um, and yeah, like you said, Sam earlier, just like the sort of trajectory, tra- I can't say words. I'm so nervous. Um, tra- trajectory, that's the one, of this Matilda squad to be here is like, yeah, and to have two more games with Tillies, I don't know how my nervous system is going to cope, is ah so fantastic. So, yeah, big, big shout-outs to, to Tony. And also earlier someone was like, oh, the best of both worlds, and I immediately managed, imagined him in a Hannah Montana wig. don't know if anyone else did the same. Anyway, now you have that image in your mind. Well, I, I didn't go there, um, but now I'm there. Uh, <laughs> but on the point of uh, the results that Tony's producing for this team, I think I think it's it is incredibly important to highlight. And there is such pressure on a coach or a manager of a side coming in, not to only make a playing group happy, but then to also back that up with results. And I think when you've got a cohesive playing group, and we mentioned it earlier in the pod, that they look happy, like they look content, they look excited with with each other and with what's happening so when you've got that right and you've got the environment right and then football is getting better and better and better that's a really hard thing to break down in an opposition and as as a player myself over years when when I come up against a team where I'm like oh these girls really enjoy each other and they have a great team culture I know that that's going to be a really hard game purely on the fact that they will work their asses off for each other and for their coach and for their manager and when there's this really collective buy-in irrespective of, who, of who's actually on the team, that's hard to break down in an opposition. Yeah, Dean Box will eat your heart out. How about Tony's celebrations, huh? Screaming up and down the touchline, running over to the stand and cheering. I mean, what a thing to see. Grace, I mean, you sort of touched on it there. Like how big a deal is it to have a coach who expresses their joy and their enthusiasm and their belief in you. Like I can imagine it just can take you mentally to a completely different level where you do genuinely want to run through walls for this person. 
completely. Um, I was like, Tony, where are you going? Where are you going, mate? He's leaving the stadium. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it's so true. Um, and it reminds me um, really fondly remembering our first championship with Canberra United under Yitka Klimkova. And there was that buy-in because the girls loved Yitka. Yitka loved the girls and it was such a, a unit and such a collective approach to every single game. And I, I get the, the sense, you know, looking out from afar that there is that kind of culture and environment under Tony. And uh, when you're working as a group um, and you're enjoying your football and you feel like you've got the support and the buy-in from your manager and vice versa, um, it just grows and grows and grows and snowballs in the best way possible. And I hope that that's what we'll continue to see for the rest of this tournament and the rest of Tony's tenure as a coach of the Matildas. One comparison I have seen, um, I had a friend suggest, was it's his approach on the sideline. It's very similar to like a Jurgen Klopp, like rides every wave, big celebrations. Um, you can tell just how much it means. I loved all the high-fiving for the first goal. Like, on the whole bench, like literally had everyone, like players on the bench, assistants, analysts, whoever was on the bench was copping a high-five. It was fantastic. You could just feel like this whole team was in it. It's like he almost went searching, like, no, 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 you're not missing out on one. And we've talked about his um, thoughts on bench players being impact players, game changers, and just that collective vibe amongst this team. And I think he really summed it up. And, yeah, he just loves it. Like, it's it's so good. It's um, I know that every manager is different, but I think when you've got the whole of Australia watching this, and we've talked about this, I had people that I know wouldn't normally watch football, let alone watch the Matildas that were tuning in and messaging me about it. The whole of Australia is watching and you've got this guy on the sidelines that's absolutely riding every wave of emotion with you, is celebrating the highs, is getting right into it, is making everyone feel they're part of not just a team but like a movement that can really go somewhere. It's amazing. It, it makes everyone want to get on board. Like you can tell just how invested he is, how much he cares. And like Angela said, he's in for the long haul. He's got a plan. Mate, I maybe making a semi-final was part of the plan, but it certainly wasn't, I think, in anyone's real expectations to be competing for a medal in these Olympics. And I think it's played a huge part that you've got a coach who is just as emotionally driven as this playing group. We've talked about Sam Kerr's celebrations. We've talked about Laura Brock crying on the bench. Like this team is just seems so emotionally in tune, so invested in each other. And it starts from the top. And when you see those sorts of genuine reactions from the coach, you can't help but want to, to be a part of it and to support this team all the way. And, geez, uh, if the TV numbers have been big already, I can't wait to see what they're going to be like on Monday night and then a medal match after that. It's, no, it's going to be incredible. Even if we make the gold medal match and we have to play it at midday because it's in US time. Like, <laughs> even do if we, we do We that, do what we need to do. Um, but I think the, the word you've mentioned there that I was going to just touch on was was genuine um, from Tony. It feels so genuine. And watching him go down and high-five everyone, it doesn't feel like he's a manager there going, oh, this is what I should do as a manager, manager and therefore you're each going to get a high-five. It feels so pure. And I think that's something that's really, really easy to get on board with because you feel it and you sit in your living rooms and you can resonate and there's so much emotion around that and such genuine emotion that the buy-in there is um, it's, yeah, an easy sell. You touched on there, Anna, that like we weren't really expecting to be in this position, which is I think why the emotions are riding so high. It's just such a pleasant surprise. But I also wonder if this might lead to sort of a shift in the way that we think about the Matildas because talking about all of this, I'm like we came 
up against a really, really strong, talented, great Britain squad who we've seen playing like the FAWSL. These are fantastic players, but we've got fantastic players. So like, I'm sort of like, are we, are we good? Like, are we, are we actually like really good? I, I'm not sure, but it's also, cause I think we, and we talked about this as well. I think sometimes like Australian like casual fans of the Matilda sort of look in and they're like, oh, surely we'll get a gold or surely we're going to win the World Cup. But when you follow the team, it's sort of been a bit up and down these past few years and there's been criticisms and it sort of felt like when we had that moment in 2017, people thought that people have been talking about it as if that's it's gone and it's over when it's like not. We just had a really rough trot with a lot of things going on. So it's nice to, I don't know, sort of maybe maybe we're a big dog maybe I don't know Grace what do you what do you reckon yeah I think that's a a really interesting point um I think the perception or maybe the feel of the Matildas for some time now in the world rankings of where we are is there's almost a a sense of imposter syndrome like oh do we belong here are we good enough to be here but I think what has perhaps proven that point that we do belong here is take the game against the USA. And I know there's been a lot of commentary, a lot said, a lot written about this, but the USA is a team that say a year ago, if we could cling to a nil or draw against the USA, everyone would have been like, wow, that is incredible. It's a team that if we could clamber our way through any kind of result against, we would have taken it and run with it. And then we managed a game out to see a draw through, to get ourselves into a quarterfinal. And the fact that that came with criticism, I understood why, but then you had to sort of sit back and go, no, we managed that game really, really well. And when you can manage a game well in major tournaments against world champions, you do belong where you are and you do belong in the semifinal of an Olympic tournament. So I think it will change the perception. I think it will give confidence to the team that the Matildas are. Um, Football isn't always going to be pretty and the results aren't always going to be the most beautiful games to watch, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you get a medal at the end of it or when you get yourself into a semi-final. So I think we are overcoming gradually that perception of are we good enough? I think the answer to that is evidence through a semi-final. What's great about this team, Grace, is and what they're bringing everyone along this journey with is it's not just the plucky underdog, which I think is the Australian football thing. It's with the Socceroos in the past. It's been with the Matildas overachieving. Like we have, you know, no one thought we could do this and we've done this, you know. We obviously had Asian Cup triumphs in both the men's and women's teams. But on the world stage, people go, we're going to have a go and maybe we'll fall short, but at least we had a go and took it up to them and showed what we could do. Now the mentality shift for the Matildas is, no, we're not just going to be the lucky underdogs that can take it up to teams and have honourable losses. We're going to get results. They got that result against the US. They went toe-to-toe with Sweden in the previous game and came up short. But that that USA performance afterwards showed that that is not going to necessarily be the norm for us. We're not always going to get caught in in shootouts and come off second best because as fun as those goals are at the time, at the end of the day with that Sweden game, you're still left thinking about what might have been. The USA game, there was none of that got the result. This game it ended up being a shootout, but we had the key defensive moments. We got the result. And now we are into the final four of the Olympics. And you can't say we don't deserve to be there. And now hopefully, I think this is the shift we're going to see where we've got the nation, the Matildas have got the nation on their backs. Like 
supporting them all the way. They want to see them win. It doesn't feel like there's any sense of tall poppy syndrome. They want to see them win. They want to see them be successful. And I think watching that game last night, people now believe they can. People believe they can go all the way or if not go all the way, win a medal. Like they believe this team can actually do great things. And we've talked about the, um, the expectations of the Matildas before. Are they realistic? Where do they sit? At the end of the day, as you say, Grace, it's your results that tell you where you belong. This yep. team is in the final yep. four. That's exactly there. right. Yeah, they do. And, um, you know, the underdog mentality, that's a, it's almost an easier mentality to have. Oh, we're, we'll give it a go. We'll try our best. Mm. We'll dig deep. And if we get a result, good on us. That's an easier position to be in. It's when you do start getting to be a top dog, if you want to call it, that that's harder. That's harder to manage. And that's harder to sort of find consistency and continuity in results. Um, but the Matildas, what, what they're doing and what they've sort of been towing the line off for a couple of years now, is that sort of realm of we are a top dog and we need to find the consistency and we need to find those match results that are going to keep us in that status. And then the belief and the perception and all of that kind of public stuff comes with it. But for the team, it's really important now that that consistency comes into the side and, you know, irrespective of a result in the semifinal, um, I think what I'd like to see from the Matildas is that, the performance says either yes, they win and they get up and they have an amazing result or they don't win, but they still have proved, oh, yeah, they didn't win, but they should be there. They deserve to be there. Their performance was there. Um, That's what I'd like to see from this semifinal. Make them earn it, Grace. Oh, yeah, earn it. it, Sure. Yeah, earn it. So we've got Sweden, Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time. I think that's 8.30 Central and 7 p.m. Western. It will be somewhere on seven. Shrug emoji. But we cannot wait for it. I think we also need to stress that if we win that game, we are in the gold medal match. We will definitely be bringing home a medal from Tokyo. If we lose that game, we're into the bronze medal match, so we've got a one-in-two chance of winning a medal. Regardless, it's the best-ever result for the Matildas and the Olympics, and we have the chance to better the best-ever results for Australia at an Olympics. The boys back in 1992 finished fourth, so we have the chance to either equal or better that. So it's going to be an absolutely phenomenal game on Monday night. We have a couple of quick little things. Harrow, a very quick boot. Quick boot to Channel 7, who on their main channel coming out of halftime missed the first four and a half minutes of the second half because of ads. I I can't comprehend that. This is going to be one of your highest rating things all year. Yeah, I know you have ads to get in. Not in playing time. If that happened in the footy, Melbourne in particular would have a meltdown. It would go nuclear. I like. I was losing my mind. We had um, seven plus open, fortunately, you know, just in case this happened. You shouldn't have to worry about this. We've talked about issues in terms of having to flick channels and that sort of thing. Those are minor compared to this. How do you miss five minutes or nearly five minutes of play? Like extraordinary. Like that's just not good enough. I, I just c- cannot comprehend how you can manage that. Especially it's not like you're doing a halftime analysis and then you're having to squeeze in the ads. Like you're, you're crossing to the swimming and you're crossing here, there and everywhere. And then you still got to squeeze in the ads. If you've got to squeeze them in, just get them over with and then cross to whatever. I, I, I just don't understand how you can miss four plus minutes of actual game time in one of the biggest matches in Australian football history. And thankfully, nothing drastic. I think there was a Kaya Simon shot that got saved. But thankfully, nothing drastic happened in those few minutes because otherwise it would have been 
absolutely criminal. So, yeah, Channel 7, get your act together. A boot for you. Don't do it again. Yeah. You've been warned. And, Sam, how good? I just wanted to give a little bit of a shout out to a couple of uh, social media feeds because I think social media has been pretty good when it comes to the Matildas, particularly Seven Olympics. I think their coverage of the Great Britain game was fabulous. Whoever is behind uh, grabbing those little video clips of Tony, of doing all the memes, absolute top-notch stuff from there. And BBC Sport. I mean, speaking of... uh, Things that you say before unfortunate events. Uh, BBC Sport tweeted, Team Great Britain are on the brink of an Olympic football semi-final. They lead Australia 2-1 as the clock ticks towards 90 minutes. Uh, But they're regretting that because uh, within minutes, they just replied to themselves, oh, (laughs) and we all know what happened there. I just loved seeing Australian soccer Twitter go absolutely ham in the comments. That was just so much fun. So, I mean, shout out to good good-natured, wholesome social media banter. I'm, I'm all about it. Speaking of good-natured social media banter, I just don't think anyone has nailed social media harder than Sam Kerr in the aftermath. I think everyone on this pod has seen this. Sam Kerr, 10.54pm last night. This dot fucking dot team, Australian flag flex, let's go, so proud. <laughs> the problem is for poor Sammy is... This dot fucking dot team turned into a URL. So it's actually got a hyperlink in the tweet. And then just quote tweeted it saying, who did this to the link? So I can explain this one or you can explain it to him. Well, no, I was just going to say, can someone listening to this go and actually make that into a website so that people can click through to the link? Someone has, and there's yes. like a video of a small child saying, talking to their parent, and the mum's like, oh, what is that? And I think she says, oh, it's a goat. And then the kid goes, in, you know, a little kid voice, no, that's a fucking goat. And then it cuts to Sam Kerr's goal against Team <laughs> as if she is the fucking goat. So there's the hilarity of the small child swearing, there's the accuracy of Sam Kerr scoring a goal, and so that's what her then quote tweet is in reference to, who has gone and made this dot fucking dot team, something that links back to her goal. So sensational there it is. Uh, I absolutely love that. Like, that's just, that's brilliant. I'm into it. Um, and if I can quickly add in a how good as well. Absolutely. Kate Jackowicz on the world stage, refereeing, USA, Netherlands. Beautiful. How good. We love Kate Jack. She nailed all the big calls too. She nailed all the big calls too, Kate Jack. Like the most high stakes game, a World Cup replay between two of the best teams in the world and she just nailed them all. Was anyone going full mort when they saw her? Like, ah, she's Australian, I know her. She's I've met her. She's a Kate Jack with her. I was like, yeah, talking to a friend from the Netherlands, watching the game. I was like, oh, she's Australian. And they were like, I'll let you know what I think after the game. I'm like, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, Angela, can you explain full mort? So, mort is um, the, from the. Is it Disney? No, it's Pixar. Pixar animation movie Madagascar. There's this. A small Mort. lemur. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, Mort is is initially scared of the the creatures from New York, but then changes his mind and is like, "I like them. I like them first. I like them before even all of you." Like, so just basically the original <laughs> gotcha. fan fan lemur. Yeah, I didn't know if it was like mortal or one of those you know young kid things that the people say. 
No, just me. Just a very niche <laughs> reference that needs to be explained. <laughs> Sorry. How do you do fellow kids from Grace here? <laughs> Gotta say, a final how good. Grace skill on the pod. How good. How good. Too kind. You're too how kind. Good. Thanks for having right. me. I really appreciate it. It's been the absolute best. You've fit right in and you're welcome back anytime. So thank you for giggling with us and also you know providing a lot of actual very good analysis so yeah welcome back anytime but final how good we're in a semi-final so I absolutely can't wait I know all of you can't wait as well but thank you so much for tuning in remember we're on espn.com.au and the ESPN app will be on Spotify Google Apple subscribe so you can get more takes like this directly onto your phone or into your ears however you listen to this podcast If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review. If you want to talk to us about anything we've said today, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, go Tillies in a semi and see us. Oh, goodness.